what happens when your worst fear becomes your reality. Hi, I'm Brent Cassidy. Welcome to the Nightmare Success In and Out podcast, where we explore how to overcome your fears and nightmares and set yourself free. We're going to be exploring this topic with guys that was in Leavenworth with and others who survived their own nightmare. These stories can be inspiring, sometimes sad. There's some humor, but hopefully you can come away with a nugget of something that'll help you knock down some of the prisons you built up in your own mind. Welcome back, Nightmare Success listeners. This is where you come to hear what happens when your worst fear becomes your reality. How do you adapt, survive, overcome, set yourself free? Well, I've got one of those guests here today, and... Uh, it's Brian Dion Williams, and we were just talking about he he's got the same initials of, of Brent Douglas and, and Brian Dion. He can always tell who who he is uh, coming in contact with in his town down in Joplin because it's it it falls into time frames. But um, Brian has a uh, really interesting story. I got to talk to him on the phone the other day, and and uh, just quite a story that you know it zigzags. I, I always like stories that you know the vulnerability of zigzagging a story and you see that somebody finds it, you know, they find their way. And, you know, the way that Brian's living his life now is, 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 uh, it's, it's a redemption inspiration type thing. And I always love to be able to sit down with people who have that. I want to get into all that, but before we do, I want to uh, recognize our sponsor for the show, Auto Plaza Direct. You know, who likes spending a couple of weekends walking car lots, looking for a car? Then you spend, then you find that car, you spend four to five hours in the dealership just to buy the car. It's kind of like a trip to the dentist or a, or a colonoscopy appointment. It's just not something you look forward to. Well, there's a better way to take away all the pain and hassle of getting a car. It's called Auto Plaza Direct. They are your personal car concierge. Just tell them the car you want what you can pay, and they'll go out and find that car for you. They'll negotiate your best price, and they'll deliver that car to you. And uh, they also, it's all full service. They, they offer warranties and financing. So go to autoplazadirect.com to get started with your personal car concierge. The new hassle-free way, the car buying experience you deserve, Autoplaza Direct. Tell them that Brent from Nightmare Success sent you. I am a client. Um, Don Davis just helped me get a truck. And we didn't think we were going to be able to get it. And then all of a sudden, Don was able to pull a rabbit out of his hat. And we did get the truck I wanted. And so it all turns out good at the end at Auto Plaza Direct. All right. Brian Dion Williams, welcome in. Thank you. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. Uh, Brian uh, was just telling me he he's in his looks like he's in his truck right now and he's been around the world from Wyoming to Oklahoma he's down Joplin Missouri uh, where he lives which is not down too far from the road where I grew up as a kid down in Springfield Missouri so it's good people down there in southwest Missouri Brian um, tell me a little bit uh, you've got a wild ride wild story can you take us back a little bit to where it all began growing up as a kid? Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of lay the foundation. Um, basically, I was the, I was the youngest of, uh, well, four kids. Um, me, uh, my, there was, there's seven years between me and my brother and sister, but there was a, I had a brother that was, that would be five years older than me. He, uh, he, he died of SIDS when he was 18 months old. Mm. And so my, my parents divorced about that time. 
and uh, they had they'd been split up, and my mom even had her tubes tied, and so uh, they tried to make it work, and then and on you know in came me. I entered the situation. Uh, she got pregnant. They thought she had a, a blood blood clots, but uh, it turned out it was me, and uh, so. <laughs> I was kind of a, a miracle baby, but, I would uh, say so. you know, yeah. And so that, that kind of laid the foundation for the fact that, you know, I, I guess they, they call them a rainbow baby when, uh, you know, somebody has a baby after they've lost a baby. Yeah. And so I came in, I came into this, well, I, I was, I had a lot of health problems. I, I was preemie. I weighed like four pounds, four ounces, spent my first year in children's mercy. Of course, I don't remember any of that, but what I do remember, what I do take away from that is, is I, I was raised up a very sheltered uh, child and a spoiled child. I was, uh, I was my mom's, uh, next chance at having, having a child, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And I so, uh, yeah. And, uh, and, uh, you know, it's like one of those, uh, it's good to be the youngest and the spoiled and everything. But, but, uh, you know, I, I always tell people anymore, like the, 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 the verse is true. Don't, don't, uh, spare the rod, spoil the child. You know what I mean? And, <laughs> uh, so, uh, I, uh, I basically, you know, I was raised up by my mom, like I said, and, uh, my brother and sister were out of the household early. So it was basically just me and her. And we were, we were very poor but I never knew it until like junior high because, yeah. you know, I basically had everything I wanted. Uh, it was in junior high that the, the, the name brand stuff started coming in. Of course, mom worked three jobs to make ends meet. So I couldn't have that. But through that, I learned like, if I want those nice things, I was going to have to, you know, I didn't know the word back then, but I was going to have to hustle. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so I was, I got a paper route. I got a, I got, I was mowing yards, selling baseball cards, even selling candy bars and uh, soda pops in school. Okay. I was known as a candy man, you know, I mean? <laughs> just trying to make man. money, you know, I mean? yeah, the candy awesome. man, you know, so, uh, yeah, in my business class, they used to use me as an example, even because the, the teachers even knew what I was doing. And they're like, yeah, they were, they, they were like, I was an entrepreneur uh -huh. in junior high. So, but, uh, you know, uh, the, the wild thing is, you know, like, uh, I, I've, I've listened to your testimony this last weekend and. And, uh, there's some similarities there because, you know, even though my dad was never around, my older brother was like the one I put up on the pedestal, Yeah, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, I really looked to him and, uh, you know, at a, at a young age, he went a little wild and, uh, he ended up going, going to prison. And, uh, I remember when he went to prison, it was the first time was like middle school. I don't really remember that, but junior high, he went to prison when I was in junior high and, uh, he would have been, you know, 19, 20 years old. And I remember thinking at that time, you know, like I'm, you know, I seen what drugs was doing to him. And I was like, I'm never doing that. Never you know what I mean? Like man. not that never going to happen to me. I was anti-drug. I, I, I started, I, you know I mean? I was, I want, I actually was going to go the other direction. I wanted to be a cop, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And, uh, so, uh, you know, but my grades didn't, didn't uh, coincide with that. So, uh, I was just, I was just that kid that just wanted to goof off in school. So, uh, needless to say, uh, you know, I, I was, you know, I was a pretty decent kid in school, but the, the fact was, uh, I didn't, you know, I wanted to skip school a lot to work and I ended up getting kicked out of school. Well, the only, uh, you know, what way to continue after that besides getting a GD was go off into the army. And so the army found a loophole to give me a, uh, a high school diploma. And so I went off there. I should have had, I went with the MOS. I wanted the military occupation, uh, being a, an MP military police officer. I would have, I would have probably stuck it out, but I, I let a recruiter talk me into being a uh, tanker. Oh wow! And I hated every minute of it. I hated it. <laughs> I was like, I figured out real quick, I'm, 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 I'm kind of claustrophobic. Uh -huh. You know That's what I mean? a claustrophobic and, uh, world. Oh yeah, it's very claustrophobic. Nothing, nothing glorifying about it. And uh, so, uh, being the young, stubborn, spoiled kid I was, when I couldn't change my MOS, I just left. And uh, me and a battle buddy went uh, AWOL from Fort Knox, Kentucky, and. 
hiked like 13 hours back to uh, Louisville. I caught a bus and I, uh, I went back home. Well, I thought, I thought I was just going to go home and go to the recruiter and say, Hey, I want to do this. Well, before I got home, the, the military police and the, uh, the, they call them the MIPs, uh, they, uh, they were looking for me. And so off goes my first, uh, uh, you know, intro into uh, being a criminal because I was on the run. You know what I mean? I didn't want to, I don't want to go to jail. Well, I, mean, and I, what, I was thinking the worst. What happens, Brian, when you, when you go AWOL and the military, play, what, what do they do? Well, you know, I, I was thinking the worst, you know what I mean? I remember, like I said, I remember my brother. I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm going to the brig. I'll be at Leavenworth for yeah. the rest of my life. You know, I'm thinking the worst. Well, little did I know, after a year of being on the run, I, I my sister started dating a recruiter, and he told me, he's like, no. He's like, you're still, you know, early level. You know what I mean? Like, so just go in there, turn yourself in, uh, get a general discharge in lieu of court martial, and, and go on with it. You can, because I was like, I want to I want to go back in. Yeah. And he's like, I just, I just want a different MOS. And he's like, you can go back in after three years. And so I went and turned myself in about two weeks of processing out. And I was like, man, I've been running for nothing. That was, yeah, that was dumb. Yeah, walk in. <laughs> All I had to do was turn myself in. Yeah. Like the easiest, easiest uh, stint I've ever done, you know what I mean? But, uh, you know, I got that squared away. And, uh, you know, from there it started looking up because I, uh, I, I got a, uh, a job through a friend of my dad's at the time. Uh, I was doing uh, on-site machining at nuclear power plants. Kind of fell into a nice little thing for for a twenty one year old, uh, twenty one year old. You know, I was, I was making six figures, and uh, for about two and a half, three years, I was doing that. And that's uh, quite but, amazing. You would have been making that amount of money as, at that age. Yeah, and twenty some odd years ago, that was that was a lot of money. Sure I mean, it's it still decent, but it was yeah. a lot then. Uh, but uh, going back, uh, you know, when I came back from the army, you know. I, came back and I don't know why, I guess, you know, being gone like that, I, I, you know, it just makes, it just, it changes you a little bit, even though I wasn't gone for a whole long time. Uh, I came back with a, with a bad drinking habit, you know, and, uh, so, uh, and it never left, you know what I mean? Even when I started working nuclear power plants, I was, I just had more money to drink on, you know what I mean? And I was, uh, I was just, you know, I was partying, drinking and just living the wildlife and, uh, uh, but in between, you know, working. So, and then they, they pay you to be off in the summertime. So you're, you're laid off. So you get layoff pay but just to wait until August. So, you know, being paid to be off in the summer was just a big old party, you know? And, uh, and so I, uh, I was doing that and going, going through some things. Cause you know, like, you know, with any addiction, I mean, I was just trying to fill a void that I didn't know I even had at the time, but, uh, I was trying to be accept, trying to feel accepted and wanted and all that. And found that in my party people, you know? And, uh, uh, it was one summer I, uh, I was in and, uh, you know, I, I, I by this time I'd moved off to Woodward, Oklahoma. And at that time, Woodward was like the mess capital of the world. Mm. And I knew a lot of people that were into it, but I, I stayed away from it because back then I had hair. <laughs> but yeah, I'm pointing at my hair like I have some. But back then they did hair follicle tests in the, in the plant. And so I knew, I, you know, I got I to gotta be, you know, I can drink all I want, but I, I can't use no drugs. Yeah. And I didn't have no desire to because, like I said, my deal was my brother. Mm -hmm. But, uh, man, it caught me one night, you know, uh, you don't think straight when you're drinking. And, uh, you know, the opportunity arose. And, and I tried, you know, did a line and well, I was hooked. Yeah, I was hooked. I, uh, it wasn't, it couldn't have been more than a week later, maybe two. Uh, I was already, I was cooking it. You know what I mean? Like I was all in. Wow. And, you, really uh, fell in. you know, I, yeah, well, and it was one of those deals, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm sure it played a part. Of, you know, I, I don't know at the time you don't really think, you don't really think real clear, but, uh, I knew once I started using it, it was like, 
my job was done at least for the next nine months because sure. that the hair follicle goes back nine months. So I was just, I was a hundred percent all in and, uh, you know, it, it, it got a hold of me and, you know, I was, you know, I, I was cooking and dealing and running and gunning and, you know, I, it was, it was, it was, it was crazy. Um, I didn't last not even a year doing it, uh, that I got my, in my first raid and, uh, were you hanging yeah, was, around was, like a whole different group of people too? I mean, how did that? Oh yeah. How did that all shift for you? Because I mean, I would assume that you were, you were a normal guy with a holding down a job, a good job, and then all of a sudden yeah. you fall into a spiral. I'm guessing with a whole bunch of different type of people in your world. It, it was wild. I, uh, I did. I, you know, I had. Uh, I, I was basically living a double life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I was basically. With this group of friends, I was just drinking and, and have, hanging out and being a being a good old boy. And and with this and then a different, totally different group of friends, pretty rough and rowdy bunch, uh, bikers and different things. And and I was just, you know, I, I was just somebody I wasn't real proud of. You know what I mean? And uh, and the interesting thing was, uh, my mom had had her first heart attack before that, and so I I had moved her down there to Woodward from Joplin, and and she was living in my house, and I basically hardly ever came home because of course I didn't want mom to know but uh when I did I mean I just I don't know I uh it was it was wild she didn't know what to think and I'll get into that in a little bit but uh you know I was I got in you know of course you know in that lifestyle it just it changes you but you know it makes you super paranoid so you know I was I was carrying guns I was you know doing whatever and I never brought any of course drugs or anything around my mom but same time I was like I had this attitude like it's my house I can I can bring guns in the house if I want, you know what I mean? And she didn't know, to, you know what I mean? Like she, she didn't like guns, but she wasn't, you know, didn't think much of it, but mm-hmm. I wasn't, you know, she I don't know. She have any but, idea what was going on? Well, the funny thing is, and I was going to get to that when I first got, when I first got raided and arrested, uh, the first time in, uh, 2003, uh, she came to the County courthouse there. And I remember plain as day, her, my, my aunt and uncle brought her over there and, uh, She's sitting there in that in that little old courthouse, and she just looks at me in my orange jumpsuit, just tears streaming down her face, and she's like, "So I, I guess you're not a cop." <laughs> and I'm like, "What?" And she goes, "Well, you know, because I had actually, and, and I'm sure, that, you know, I had, you know, led her to believe that in some sort some sort of way. But I mean, I was, you know, dressed. I kind of dressed, you know, black BDUs and and high techs and all that, you know, because mainly with that anhydrous stuff, you're cooking in the woods. So, you know, what I mean, it's just it was just wild and. But I think she just wanted to believe that, you know, I mean, my, my mom was, you know, still sh- at that age, sheltering me. And, and it just, you know, I was the baby and she just wanted to believe something good out of this whole deal. Mm-hmm. And so she thought I was, she thought I was a cop. I was like, no, mom, I'm not a cop. Not a cop. You know what I mean? But uh, not a cop. No. <laughs> so, uh, but that was kind of the start of it. I mean, you know, I, I had seven years of on and off. You know, well, how did that I would go to jail. Ha- how did the raid happen? Did it just because that sounds early on? Uh, did well, I guess that was a meth raid? Is that what happened? Yeah. Well, the interesting thing was it actually wasn't even uh, our uh, me and my dope cooking partner. It wasn't our lab. A mutual friend of ours that we shared chemicals with. He had an explosion. The anhydrous blew up. He had to go to the hospital. He got severe burns and stuff. Well, it was at his place out in the out in the country out there, and and uh, he'd called uh, my buddy and, and asked him uh, to come clean it up before the cops found it. Well, little did we know, we get out there and we've barely been there twenty thirty minutes, and and cops start rolling up and down that county highway right there, and different different ones and stuff. And so, 
uh, later we would find out that they, they had already found it. They were just waiting for somebody to come out there to catch them there. Yeah. And, uh, so, and when they came in, they came in, they came in deep, but, uh, it was, it was a wild deal. We, you know, at the time, you know, we, you know, we had enough money. We, you know, I had one of the, you know, we both had one of the best, two of the best lawyers around and that kind of helped. And then, uh, that one, you know, it was, it was a true blessing that I just, uh, you know, they say, don't, uh, what is it? Don't lick a gift horse in the mouth, but, mm-hmm. but I did, you know what I mean? But, uh, I, uh, uh, that, that buddy of mine, he had a, he had a rap sheet a mile long and been to prison and stuff. And, and I hadn't. And so, and he kind of looked at me like a little brother. And so, you know, we went through court, we went through all this, trying to beat it up right. And, uh, and he caught a couple more little cases here and there, but he decided he was going to, you know, I didn't even know he was going to do it until the day he did. He took a plea and, uh, and then he turned around on that plea and he just told him, he's like, you know, he didn't know anything. Uh, I told him, you know, I just asked him for a ride. I told him to stay in the truck, but he, you know, when you guys pulled up, he had gotten out, but he, he had no knowledge. Well, they, they had enough, you know, people snitching and whatever else that they knew that was not true, but they could not prove it. So, what they did, what they told my attorney was they're not going to let me go scot-free, but they were, they were going to give me a charge of accessory after the fact, which meant like after we got there and basically they, cause they asked me what, at what point did you know there was a meth lab there? I'm like, well, when all your guys suited up, started bringing it out of the house, <laughs> you know, and, and, which, you know, was a lie, but that's what I said. And, you know, and they, they're like, well, it's accessory after the fact. And I'm like, well, how would I, you know, and, but, oh, well, you know, and I was, they, they, with that charge, they were going to give me a three-year deferred sentence, which would have been a blessing had I, you know, straightened up at that point because it would have went off my record. Mm-hmm. But uh, I stayed clean for a little bit, and you know, like I said, I mean, it, we could be here all day talking about what happened throughout the seven years. But like I always tell people, I'm like, you know, uh, basically, it's one of them deals. Like everybody has the crazy dope stories, and I don't really get into that because. You know, you know, it's not, you know, not glorifying the Lord, but, uh, also, you know, I always tell people, you know, my, if you see my Facebook, you know, it's, it says, I'm not proud of, uh, of my past, but I'm not ashamed of what God brought, brought me through. And so when I share my testimony, I just basically say, you know, like the deal is like, you know, it took me to places where I never, never expected to be. I mean, from trips to Mexico, dealing with the cartel to being in a basement in a, in a, in, in the country in the middle of nowhere. Uh, doing drug deals with nothing but your boxers on and guns out because you think everybody's got a, a wire or something. You know what I mean? Just stupid stuff that, you know, like looking back, I, I still, I still can't even believe some of the stuff. I mean, like, uh, you know, but for the, you know, for, for the, for the Lord, I, uh, I should be dead or in prison still. So well, did you, did but, you uh, get into situations where you thought your life was in danger in some of those deals? I mean, Mexican cartel. Oh, definitely. And, and, yeah. Yeah. At the, and see, here's what's crazy. And here's what, here's what fuels my passion for the ministry I have now is the fact that like when I was going down there dealing with the cartels and stuff, like we took off on a whim, didn't even really have a connection down there. And, uh, you know, just, just picked a border to go through and it would happen to be Laredo and, and we're down there and we start dealing with them and little do we know we're, we're getting followed and everything. And cause we're the only two, you know, I'm, I'm American Indian, native, native American, but I, uh, you know, basically the only two white people down there at the time, because they were in the middle of a war. This is like a, in 2005, six, they were, you know, they, they were, they were in a cartel war, which they're, they're always in, mm-hmm. but, uh, it was just a weird deal. They knew us as the Sudafed guys going down there to buy. But anyways, my point is like, like, uh, you know, I had no fear to go down there because I, you know, because of the, you know, the negative stuff I wanted to do. So now my, my thing is I want to go wherever, wherever the Lord leads me because 
if I could have no fear for the drug world, then I surely shouldn't have any fear for, for the Lord's work. You know, oh, that's a good so, way to think of uh, that. Use the fear in the positive. Yeah. 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 And, and that, and it's just like, if I'll drive clear down to Mexico for that, but yet can't go across the street to help my neighbor, then, uh, you know, what, what's, what's the point, you know? Yeah. So let me get this thing going back again. This little hybrid one to shut off. <laughs> hope you don't run out of, uh, fuel or electricity there. <laughs> Well, good thing I sell batteries. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> this is my office. I always tell people, like, this is you're in your office. I'm in my yeah, office. No, it sounds good so, in there. Sounds good in there, truck. Yeah, but uh, but yeah. So so you know, I it was a it was a crazy ordeal all the times I went through. But you know, uh, uh, I'll fast forward to the fact that you know, kind of what set the stage for 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 the big turnaround, as I call it, my da- Damascus Road conversion. You know, in uh, November first, two thousand seven, I. By this time, I'd moved back to Joplin, and uh, you know, my mom had eventually moved back as well, and she got her own place. Well, the roles kind of flipped because I was running and gunning so hard. I, I didn't have; I just kind of you know had trap houses here and there, whatever that I that I hung out at. But I didn't have a, a place like I had in, in Oklahoma, and so I would crash out at her place every once in a while when I wanted some rest and get away from all the nonsense. And uh, I had totaled out one of my vehicles a couple of days before. And so I, on Halloween day, I was at our house and I had some friends come over to pick me up. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I remember just, you know, his mom still had never changed. I mean, she just, I was just a baby. I couldn't do no wrong, mm-hmm. even though it was obvious at that point. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I left there and she's just standing up there waving, just be careful. And, and so the next day I, I was trying to reach her cause you know, of course she had a little Jeep that I had bought her and, and I was going to call her to come, you know, come get me, come get me, you know, cause everybody else was just, you know, off doing their thing and never could reach her. And so I, and mom with her health condition, she didn't really go anywhere. So I, uh, I got a, I got somebody finally take me over to her house and the little Jeep was in there in the driveway. And I was like, something's, something's odd. You know, I just had a feeling and uh, couldn't get her answer the door. And so I end up, uh, you know, the gut feeling was strong enough. I just kicked the door in. And, uh, when I did, you know, my mom's sitting there, she'd, uh, she, she was, she was dead on the couch, oh, man. you know, and, uh, wow. she'd, uh, uh, come to find out later, she'd had a massive heart attack, uh, like that morning because mm-hmm. she had her coffee sitting beside her and stuff. But, uh, you know, it was, it was a rough deal. I remember it like it was yesterday. It kind of, I flipped out. I mean, I was, it didn't help. I, I, I was high and been high for, I don't know how long, but, um, called 911 people came over and, uh, at that time I, I probably, I must not have had any warrants because, uh, that was the only time I've ever had an encounter that was so volatile with the law enforcement there that, but yet I didn't go to jail. And I think it's just cause they, they, they felt bad for me, but I was flipping out. I was just like cussing them and telling them get away. You know, they were trying to comfort me and I was just like, oh, you know what I mean? But, uh, I remember that time cause I grew up when I was younger going to church and for that time, I've never been so mad at God cause I never quit believing in him, but, uh, I just felt like he was through with me. And then with that, I felt like, you know, like he was, some evil puppet master just playing games with me at that time, punishing me for my, for my stuff, you know, whatever. I don't, I mean, it was just all kinds of feelings, but at that point, you know, it, it really got real there. Uh, that was November 1st, 2007. And, uh, up until that time, you know, I mean, it was all business for me on the, on the, on the drug style. But, uh, at that point uh, it got, you know, where I just, I ended up uh, at that point, I, I had, before then I'd never used a needle, uh, shot dope. And, uh, at that time I started shooting up because I just, I didn't care. I, everybody that was around me knew I had a suicide mission because mm-hmm. my mom was like the only thing I had, you know what I mean? And, uh, uh, she so, uh, the buffer, you know, they, the buffer for you to give yeah. her care. Yeah. She, she was the only thing keeping me to live in that double lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Even though the double lifestyle had kind of gone away, the older it got, because everybody else 
you know, they, I couldn't fool everybody else. And, and, and I don't think I fooled mama, but she sure acted like I did. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, she just believed in me no matter what. But, uh, at that point, I just, I just didn't care. You know what I mean? And I knew, you know, I, I can't remember. I was 20, I'd have been 28, 29. I don't know. And, uh, I was like, man, you know, I'm just going to be like my brother or whatever, you know, spend the rest of my life in prison, whatever, you know? And, uh, so, uh, uh, kind of narrowed down the people that would hang out with me at that point because everybody knew I had a suicide mission. I'd, you know, talked about, you know, just death by cop, whatever, you know, I was, I was, I was nuts, you know, no, no, no easy way to put it. But, uh, throughout that time I, I got arrested and bailed out and arrested and bailed out with different things and, and got another drug raid in like March of 08 and went on the run on that deal. And, uh, September 21st, of 2000, or I mean, yeah, September 21st, 2008, uh, was the day that, you know, that, you know, I call it my Damascus road conversion. I think I told you that last time, but, uh, you know, it, it started like any other I was cooking dope. And, uh, I don't know, you, you were talking about the violence and stuff. I don't know if you could see the scar on my eye right here, right underneath there's yeah. kind of healed over. But a couple weeks prior to that, I had had some beef with another drug dealer and, uh, we got into it and, and he hit me with the butt of his pistol right there mm. and caught me, caught me slipping and, uh, stole, stole a stolen car from me. And, uh, and that, and it had my, my guns in there. So, uh, but anyways, uh, long short of it is that that morning, somebody told me, you know, we got, uh, you know, I got up just doing our thing, you know, and, uh, uh, somebody had got a hold of me and they were like, yeah, he's over here in Galena, Kansas. You know what I mean? Uh, we found him and I'm like, okay. So, uh, I had another gun of course. And I was like, I tell people this is I, the stupidest, uh, or the smartest, smartest uh dumb dumb move i ever made was uh i couldn't find uh anything other than uh, the ammo that i had in the magazine was the only thing i had and so i uh i went to go get some more ammo just just in case i need more shots and so i go to academy sports and outdoors of all places and uh you know mind you i'm, I'm a pretty good sized fella now I, you know work out and stuff but uh back then i was like 130 pounds i mean i you, it was obvious uh, I was high. And then also at the time I was on four states most wanted and had my picture in the paper and stuff is I was, I was on the run. And so, I mean, it was, I was going to be spotted, mm-hmm. but I, I just didn't care. I was blinded by anger. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I go Academy sports, not doors, buy a box of ammo. And, uh, thankfully they called the cops on me and, uh, we got out of the parking lot and then, uh, we, we just pulled out of the parking lot. I mean, I, they let me leave there. Of course they sold it to me, but they called probably right after I left and, we get out there and uh, I'm in the back seat behind the driver here. And, uh, and we look, we look back and there's a uh, unmarked Ford expo- or expedition that, uh, the, uh, or, yeah, it's expedition that, oh, uh, Joplin had at the time. It was a, uh, it was, it was a patrol vehicle, but it was unmarked and it got behind us. And, you know, in that lifestyle, you know, all the cop cars. So, uh, you know, basically know all the cops names mm-hmm. and their ships. But, uh, you know, I, we look behind us and we're like, Oh crap. You know, and as my buddy's driving, and his girlfriend's in the passenger seat. It was her car. And uh, we go turn in, turn off on 15th and make a couple other turns. Well, that guy didn't follow us. Like, okay, we're good. You know, and so we get back on 20th and we're heading down 20th Street. And he pops up behind us again. And this time we've seen cops coming over the hill. When you're coming over, it's, uh, it's kind of where the new Vidoc is now in Joplin, where the tornado wiped out everything. Right by the high school, it wiped out. And, uh, they're uh, coming over the Vidoc. You see in all directions. There's cops coming from every one of them. And uh, I remember my buddy looked back at me in the, in the rear view, and he was like, do you want me to give you time to run? 
and at that moment, I can still kind of, you know, it, it takes my breath away right now thinking about it all these years later, but uh, I felt the meaning of the word uh, arrested. You know what I mean? I, I really felt it. And I just, I remember looking at him and I was just like, I looked up in the rear view and I could see his eyes. And I mean, he's looking back. He was ride or die, man. He was like, I'll, I'll go wherever you want to go. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, he just got out of prison not long ago. And I was like, you know, I don't, I don't want him getting any more trouble for me, you know, da, da, da. And I was just like, just go ahead and stop, you know. And about that time, they, they lit us up, you know what I mean? And so we pulled off on uh, off 20th Street onto Ohio. And when we did, cops come from that way. Uh, they were expecting me to, uh, us to run or whatever. And uh, so I remember taking the pistol and putting it, there's a map pocket behind the driver's seat. I, I shoved, it, shoved it in there and uh, and just sit there. And I'm just like, okay, let's see if we make it out, you know. And, and they, they come up and they stopped at my door, the back the back driver's side door. And I just kind of looked funny and tried to play it off and rolled the window down. He's like, can I get your ID? And I was like, I'm, I'm not driving this thing. I said, he says, I need your ID. I said, okay. And they ended up getting everybody's ID. I gave him, since I'd been on the run, I was using my cousin's ID. Oh, no. And, uh. <laughs> Yeah, well, he was in prison over here in Oklahoma, so I was like, he don't need it, and uh, he's in prison, so, I mean, it's got to be straight. Well, uh, they they all come back up to the car, and they're like, uh, Mr. Miller, can you step out of the car? And I was like, uh, yeah, look at him all kind of crazy, and they're like, yeah, you got a traffic traffic warrant out of Newton County, and I was like, oh, how's that <laughs> how's this? Yeah, I was like, oh, no. And so uh, they, they arrest me, and they put me in the back seat of the cop car, they get the others out because, you know, once somebody goes to jail, they get searched. And so uh, I remember sitting in the back of that cop car, and, I mean, I'm still feeling just like, it's done. You know what I mean? I'm done. You know, and uh, they start searching the car. And, of course, it was it was a girl's car. And, of course, in that lifestyle, the girls there, they, they felt like they needed to pack everything around with them. So they they were pulling clothes out and all this. Well, then I, I remember it was just like in the movies where, I don't know if it was an ink pen or flashlight or whatever, he pulls out that pistol, holds it up like this, and he was showing it to the other ones like that. And I remember just yelling out the, the, the window was cracked open. And I was like, that's my gun. That's my gun. And I just, they never acknowledged me. So I just kept screaming it. And my buddy, I know they, they could hear me because they were looking like, just shut up, dude. Mm-hmm. But I, I did not want them to go to jail for me because I, I was a lot of things, but I wasn't that guy to get my buddies in trouble. Yeah. So, uh, um, you know, we, uh, they ended up, they, they let them go. Well, they took her in because she had like pills in her purse or something mm-hmm. silly, but they they took me they took me to Joplin City Jail and uh and I remember I got in there and they just they they fingerprinted me and everything and they put me back in a holding cell. Well, then it wasn't long they come back and they're like, "Come on, they figured you know, it I come out. out of there." <laughs> yeah, they're like, uh, they have my picture, my mugshot up on it was a different mugshot, of course. They had it up on this big screen thing and they're like, "We know who you are. You're just gonna just fess up to it." And of course, by that time, I was I was just feeling it. You know, what I mean, I'm like. You know, if you know, you're the, you're the experts in this. And I was kind of just being a smart aleck. And, and they're like, okay, well, you, you, you think you're funny. We're going to give you a obstruction of justice. Mm. And that's a misdemeanor. And, of course, feeling the way I was, I was like, I had seven seven felony warrants. Mm. And I was like, well, if you know who I am, you know that misdemeanor doesn't matter. Sure. You know, whatever. Give, give me what you want. Mm. You know, you throw, throw it at me. And uh, little did I know, you know, this is this is where, you know, like later on, you know, God highlighted some things in there, like like that little deal there. That was that was a life changing move for me, and uh, he, you know, he used what uh, what man meant for punishment, and uh, you know, to, to glorify him because uh, the the forty five days in city, otherwise, otherwise, you because know, if I wouldn't have gotten that, I would have went straight over to county jail. Mm-hmm. But instead, I had to spend forty five days in city jail. Well, uh, they put me in a little six man cell, and I remember 
I kept, uh, this was the first opportunity, mind you, that I'd actually really slept since my mom had died mm. and it'd been nine months. Mm. And, uh, I, uh, I started having some bad night tremors and stuff about it. I was reliving it and I kept waking up and just sweating and mad and blaming myself and everything. And I remember waking up one time and there was, there was nobody in this jail cell and they had a sprinkler system. I don't know why they would have this in city jail, but they had a red sprinkler system running down the center, big old pipe that was dangling down. And I'm like, I looked at that and I was like, you know what? I'd never felt more alone in my life. And now I was physically alone, not just mentally. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, you know what? I'm, I'm just, I can hang myself from there and, and be done before they could ever get back here to open the door and pull me down. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not just thinking about it. I'm plotting it. I'm getting ready. And literally at that exact time, they have, you know, you know, the bean hole, you've been in there, you know, you know, they, they rack that thing and they're like, Williams, you have a visit. And at that time, I'm just like, who in the world is, yeah. who's, who's visiting me? You know what I mean? And so I remember they got me out of there and they walked me up to the front and it's little, little jail. And so they walked me up to the front and there's, there's a little old lady there that a uh, friend of mine, this girl I used to run around with uh, at that time. I, uh, her mom was just a sweet little God fearing Christian lady. And she, uh, she was sitting there. She's, she just, uh, you know, I, I crashed at her house a few times and different things. And, you know, we had made her to believe cause I had a stolen Cadillac and we made her to believe that was my dad's and that I was a good kid and all this. Well, when I sat down, she told me, she's like, she starts almost interrogating me like police, you know, she's like, so I guess that wasn't your dad's Cadillac. And I guess you're you know, this, that, and the other. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's kind of interrogating me. And I remember I kept thinking, well, she's going to be real, uh, uh, she's gonna be feeling pretty bad when she realizes, like, when I go back and I finish what I was gonna do, she's gonna think it was her fault. But uh, and that's the mindset I was in. Well, she just she told me she's like, I I'm sorry, I did not come here to chew you out. She's like, uh, but you know, I did when I found out you were in here. I I, I put you on my prayer list, and every day that you know since I found out, I've been praying, and the Lord just kept you know pushing at me that I needed to come speak to you, need to come see you. And I'm like, oh yeah. And she goes, well, He wanted me to tell you that you are not alone. Mm. And boy, that that hit me like a ton of bricks. Cause just what I was instantly exactly right what there. What I was thinking, right. Yeah. Yeah. And then mainly that, you know, he, 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 as, as, as we call it, he, he, you know, he read my mail on that, you know, or she read my mail on that, you know I mean? She knew exactly what was going on. It's really without, interesting. Without being able to know. Really something fascinating, really that she yeah. got in the car and drove down to the city jail. I mean, a lot of people might think to do that, but I don't know very many no. people that aren't your family that get in the car and come and say they want to visit the person that's behind the wall there. Yeah. Especially the person that just, you know, disrespected her house and all that. It's like, she she told me she worked for the department of family services. She's like, you know, if you'd have got arrested at my house, I'd have lost my job and everything. But she still through all that. She was like, I just knew I had to be obedient to what the Lord had. And uh, that's why, you know, today I do the prison ministry. I do because, you know, you never know what going in there and, and sharing a couple words, will do, you know, and, and uh, it, it was life changing for yeah. me. You know, I, uh, I tell people like, I, of course, you know, like I said earlier, I was, I'm stubborn. So I didn't go back, you know, we kind of cried a little bit out and she prayed over me and we went back, I went back to the cell, but I didn't just go back and hit my knees and, you know, transform right there. You know what I mean? Uh, but it kept working on me and she kept sending me letters and, uh, throughout the time that I was in the city. And, uh, I remember I still felt like, like God just, you know, like I'd done, I'd, I'd done too many wrongs. You know what I mean? Like the, the lifestyle I lived was just too bad. You'd worn it out. And so, yeah, yeah. 
Well, no, I mean, I, I felt like uh, I, it was too bad for what the Lord would have. You yeah, know what I mean? Like, yeah. like God didn't want, he you was emptied, through with me. Emptied it out. Yeah. 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 I had no more grace and mercy available. But uh, I remember going to a Sunday service just basically to get out of the, that little jail cell at the city. And uh, this one, this one little dude, this one guy was in there and he was, he was a rough looking old biker looking dude. Had beard bigger than the beard I got now. And uh, he's in there telling his stories about how rough and tough he was and, you know, the Lord just got a hold of him and made him, you know, just, you know, just transformed him. And, uh, and after hearing his stories and everything, I thought, man, you know, God can get a hold of somebody like that and change him and turn him into, uh, you know, you know, a great Christian man. And I mean, I guess I maybe have a chance, you know what I mean? And, uh, and he worked on me a little bit. That guy tried to pray with me. And I remember telling him, you know, me and God still aren't seeing eye to eye yet. And he ended up the next time praying with me, but the, uh, you know, fast forward when I went to the, when, when I went ahead and went on to the County jail, I, uh, I remember, you know, prior, I, I, every time I got in jail, I would, I would pray to pray to God and I would just cry out and be like, Hey, you know, kind of, I felt like I was bargaining with God. I was like, you know, if you just get me out of this, I'll, uh, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. And, uh, you know, needless to say, I would get out and, and I would, I wouldn't serve you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, uh, but this time when I got to County, I remember thinking, you know, cause I still had seven felonies and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm going to prison for, for a while, you know what I mean? Cause manufacturing possession of sawed off shotgun, possession of the gun they got me with different ones like that. And I'm like, so I just told the Lord, I was like, man, if it takes spending the rest of my life in prison to stay off the drugs and serve you, then thy will be done. Mm. And, uh, man, uh, we started, yeah, it was, it was the toughest thing I'd ever said, honestly. Cause uh, I mean, I just, I felt it. I was like, man, I'd, I'd rather be in prison than be out there on the streets getting mm. high and everything. So, but I remember that county, I stayed in county jail that time. Uh, I was, I was there 14 weeks before I ever went to my first court date. And they had, uh, they'd given me two different public defenders because I had done squandered off any, you know, every dime I had mm-hmm. at that point. But, um, they, uh, one public defender was over the last, uh, the drug raid in March that had the possession of a sawed off shotgun, uh, uh, in, uh, cons- like cons- it wasn't conspiracy because that's what the feds do, but it was, uh, like, a intense manufacture mm-hmm. and so uh and the other one was over a couple possession charges and a possession of firearms stuff and so when they finally took me to my first court date after 14 weeks i hadn't really had much communication been writing the judge or the lawyers and stuff trying to figure out what's going on and i just wanted to tap out and go to prison really i just want to you know county jail that's how, that's what they do that you know yeah, they make it you, where you just want to go out. let me out of yeah. here i'll go to prison yeah, yeah. exactly and so uh what I did was I ended up, uh, you know, when I went, the, the one uh, public defender over the smaller charges was like, hey, did uh, your other public defender come speak to you yet? And I was like, no, I haven't heard from either one of you guys. He goes, oh, well, they dismissed those other charges. I was like, oh, okay. Well, that, I mean, I just, I didn't, I was in shock. I, I didn't know how, what. Yeah, I was like, I don't know what to think about that. Well, then we, you know, he went, he, he left out of there. He came back in and he's like, okay, well, we got a deal. He's like, they're going to. If you waive your pre, if you waive your preliminary hearing to the, uh, there was a receiving stolen property charge and a possession of, is either possession of precursor or possession of meth, but because I, I had both of them, uh, but anyways, if I waived to those two, then they would they would drop the possession of firearm charge and the other possession charge, and I was like, that's big, okay, you know what I mean? Yeah, I was like, okay, so I came in with seven felonies, I'm leaving with two, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, you know, from being in jail and stuff like. You know, I was kind of, ex- I was, I was excited, but I was also like, well, I don't even know if I want to go back to the, to the pod talking about this. Yeah, this right. Don't let anybody right. know this. I, I ain't that guy. You right. know what I mean? I'm like, I'm like, this just don't even add up. I mean, I know what I would think if somebody did that, but mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But uh, I was just, 
I was flabbergasted. So anyway, through this time being there, the same little old lady that had came and seen me, she had gotten a minister, a uh, lady that had a, a halfway house, a, a faith-based halfway house in Joplin. She had been coming to see me throughout this whole 14 weeks in county. And uh, she came and see me the day after that. And she was like, I told her what happened. And she's like, oh, praise God. You know, like, what a blessing. And I'm like, yeah, I'm still kind of like, I'm still in shock. And she's like, why aren't you excited? I was like, well, you know, Kathy, her name was Kathy. I was like, well, Kathy, here's the deal. Like, I know how the system works. I've been in and out of the system for a while. And I know that these two charges and me being in jail this long, the next court date, they will, they will give me an, like an OR bond and set me out with some probation. Mm-hmm. And she goes, well, that's, that's good news. And I'm like, no, because I know me also. By the time the sun goes down, I'll be high. Mm-hmm. I said, because I got nowhere to go and I don't trust myself. And she's like, well, you go to my place, you know, my, my halfway house. I'm like, well, yeah. I was like, but you know, hers was for people coming out of prison. Mm-hmm. And she's like, she's like, well, I'll make it, I'll make it happen. So she went to the court the next week. I had a court date there and she goes in there and gets me released, like furloughed to go to her drug treatment program. And, uh, I went through a 21 day treatment first. I had to go through that first and then go into her program. And then it was awesome. It was awesome. I, uh, I really felt like, you know, this is, this is that, you know, happily ever after deal. I got out, things start working out, start going to college mm. over there at Crowder college. And, uh, you know, I got involved with a lot of ministries doing like, uh, street ministries and stuff, going to church. And I mean, I was really on fire, but that was in like March of 2009, roll on over to like September, uh, 2009. Uh, the, the, the same little lady that came visit me in jail. She, she calls me up. I was coming home from school that day from Crowder college. And she said, uh, have you read the newspaper today? And I was like, no, I don't read the newspaper. And she's like, I'll be right over. I was, by this time I graduated from the program at the halfway house, but I was assistant manager, house manager. Okay. And, uh, she's like, I'll be, I'll be right over. Well, she brought the newspaper over and, uh, here it reads, you know, two Joplin men indicted for guns and drugs. Mm. And I mean, uh, they, they threw a stack of indictments at us. Those same ones they kicked out. That's why they kicked them out. So they can go federal on them. And so they used, they used everything. And I remember thinking at that time, man, I was so angry. Cause I was like, man, here, I've done this, this, and this, and I'm still going to end up in prison. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I, she prayed over, she prayed with me and, and I was just, I had that fight or flight mentality. I, I wanted to run kind of, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and uh, thankfully rather than running, I called another friend of mine, him and his wife were there like, lightning fast they didn't live far from there but they were there quicker than i would have ever imagined because they knew you know they knew they'd been through that lifestyle and they knew you know they it was a time time sensitive manner and so they show up there they're praying over me and i don't remember even what was being said but i remember literally as they were praying i was it was like i was i I could see the garden of gethsemane and uh you know i could i could see you know scripture talks about you know if this cup shall pass or you know you know if, if this cup shall pass then uh, thy will be done. You know what I mean? Like wanting want the cup to pass. And then, uh, you know, the third time, if this cup shall not pass without me drinking of it, then thy will be done. And man, it was like using my own words against me almost. Mm-hmm. I, I remembered immediately that prayer I said in county jail where just a few short months earlier, I was willing to go to prison for the rest of my life. Right. Uh, if it, if it meant staying sober, now I got a little taste of freedom and success. And, and I was like, Oh Lord, no, do something different. You know? Mm-hmm. So it kind of, it, 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 it helped. I mean, I'm not going to say it made it easy. I went and ended up turning myself into the, to the, uh, to the feds in Springfield and started fighting it out. And there's not, you, you know, there's not much fighting when it comes to the feds. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
uh, I remember, uh, I remember vividly. It was like, uh, it was right around Thanksgiving. Uh, cause I got released back out to the hope house to the, to, you know, cause I wasn't deemed a menace to society or whatever. So got, got released into her custody on that, on the bond setup. And so I was going, still going to school and all that. Well, uh, my co-defendant, which I hadn't really had much contact with reached out and he was like, you know, he just basically told me that he was fixing to go in and debrief, but don't worry. He's not telling on me. So I was like, it was some other deal, whatever. I didn't hear anything else other than that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I immediately, uh, after Thanksgiving, I called my lawyer and I just told him, you know, I said, Hey, uh, I want to take a blind plea. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I didn't know what that was at the time, but we, you know, he's, he told me, he's like, you know, you want to do a blind plea? And I, basically the blind plea, cause what they were charging us for had nothing to do with like the trips to Mexico and different things. And I thought if he debriefed, he's telling all, and that, he was the one that went with me to yeah. Mexico and stuff. Yeah. So, uh, I didn't want any more charges. So when you, when you do a blind plea, you got the motion for disclosure or yeah, disclosure. I think it is the one that doesn't, it, it, it locks it in. They can't go back and charge you with a whole bunch of other crimes later. And so, uh, I took it kind of threw myself at the mercy of the court. And, uh, that was, I took the blind plea in January. And right after that, I was, I was still on probation out of Oklahoma for those other deals. And so Oklahoma got wind of it. They sent, they had me arrested, sent me to County jail. And, uh, I got sentenced six years in Oklahoma for, for that, that probation I had. But, uh, meantime, I end up, they, I go to Oklahoma prison. They come and get me The marshals, come get me, take me back to Springfield and, uh, to sentence me. And I didn't, I didn't know it, but like a whole bunch of people from the, from the church had wrote letters on my behalf mm -hmm. and even showed up that day for sentencing. And I remember the judge, uh, he looks at me and he says, they did my PSI and everything. He had my PSI in this hand. It's and all the letters in this hand. Report for anybody out there in yeah, Costa Rica listening doesn't know. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And he told me, he said, he had it just like this. He's like, Mr. Williams, I don't know. He says, I've got, I've got to tell a two, two stories here, you know, basically. And he says, I don't know which Brian Williams is standing before me today, the one out of this or mm -hmm. the one out of these letters. Mm -hmm. He says, but uh, what I'm going to do is he says, I'm going to sentence this one here. But if you ever get in trouble again or come back before me for a violation, I'm sentencing this one. Mm. And I was like, okay. And I, I mean, mind you, I'm, I'm my, I don't even remember that's what my guidelines were. That's a big deal that you read the around. letters, you know, that's a lot of times it doesn't happen. Yeah, it was, it was a blessing. And, uh, he ends up, they, they, he, he, he gave me 84 months and, uh, it was my sentence and I'd been locked up for six months already. So then he turned around and he says, uh, you know, we'll do time served on that, which was a blessing. Cause as you know, they don't always count other time, you know, state right. time. And so, uh, so basically turn around and end up 78 month sentence. And then they send me back to Oklahoma and my time's still rolling there. And so I go to the prison there. So now I've got both sentences running and, uh, you know, there's a lot for sake of time. I'll kind of, uh, speed it up, but there's a lot of things that happen like immediately in the prison there in Oklahoma. I went right into a, a Bible college, uh, dorm and, uh, got right into a nine month intense Bible college class that was like eight hours a day, Monday through Friday studying the Bible, you know what I mean? And, and so really prepared me for my time there. And, uh, I was in McAllister for about two and a half years, finished, you know, did two and a half on, you know, on, to close out that six and then transferred to Oklahoma or I mean to, well, first Oklahoma transfer center for the feds and uh, stayed on the work cadre for a year there. And I mean, through this time I was doing college courses and stuff. I'm trying to do everything I could to, you know, better myself. I didn't want, you know, so you were, uh, you know, you were really you using you were really using your time to to educate yourself, and and that's how that was kind of your strategy in prison was I'm, I'm going to get as good as I can get. 
Well, I'm in. Yep. I, I wasn't going to let the time do me. I was yeah. going to do the time. I wasn't going to let it do me. Yeah. That's what I kept saying. You know, I mean, uh, that was kind of my motto with it. You know, this was my, uh, I call, I told people it's my belly of the well experience experience or, or, you know, from, from Jonah, mm-hmm. the belly of the well or the, or the 40 days in the desert. It was my time of separation, but time of preparation. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, through that, I, I took a bunch of courses. And then when I got to Fort Worth federal prison, the only thing that I, I was bound to determine to take a Votech and the only thing they had available was a heat and air class. And I had never had any desire to do heat and air, but I took it and I took a seminary school too. I got ordained and stuff. And, but I, uh, you know, I remember when, when I got, when I got out of prison, that HVAC license, that really saved me. My first four years out, I was, I was doing heat and air, but, uh, you know, uh, uh, I finished out my time in Fort Worth and I just remember, you know, I, I was always trying to be, you know, I, I, didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't that guy that, you know, I wasn't, you know, beating any people up with the word or, you know, a Bible thumper as they call it, but I, I wanted my actions to speak and I gained a lot of respect in there. You know, I didn't have to compromise my values and my morals. Uh, I had respect for, it didn't matter if it was Arians or if it was Crips or Bloods yeah. or Serenios, you yeah. know what I mean? Like everybody respected my stance. They, they understood I was a Christian and they respected that. You Which know? is and, a big and deal in you know, prison. I mean, it's a very, oh, yeah. very primitive environment, but if you have respect in prison and it comes from a lot of different places, you know, somebody could be really good on helping write people's motions. You know, some people can, you know, yep. th- th- there's so many different things in prison, but if you carry that respect piece, uh, it, it, your time's different. Yeah. It, it is. It's, it's a game changer. I mean, and, and, and for them to like, and I, like I tell people, it's not cool to be Christian in prison. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, they didn't respect me because I was Christian. They respect me because I wasn't fake. Right. You know I mean? And so, uh, uh, they respected the fact that I, you know, I wouldn't waver on right. it, you know, yeah, but I, I mean, I didn't, I also didn't treat them like anything less, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, it's not belittling like, Oh, you don't, you don't believe in God. So, you mm. know, I had a, in my workout car, I had a guy that was a, pagan priest mm-hmm. you know what i mean but he's like for, for old christian boy you're all right you know what <laughs> i mean but uh but i still remember getting out in 2014 got outside of them gates and uh you know uh man first time i really actually kind of i cried you know it ain't cool to cry in prison but yeah. i cried on the way home just uh on who, that bus who was ride there to get you when you got out of prison brian nobody they put me on the bus and you sent me up to springfield on. but it, yeah but you know i i had a you know throughout while i was locked up uh, I had friends and mentors from the church that wrote the letters. Yeah. They were the, that, that church really stood behind me and those, the people, man, they, uh, stayed they supported me you. and yeah, stayed in contact. They, they drive down to Fort Worth and visit me and stuff. Wow. And, uh, you know I mean? That was, that was really all I had. My dad passed away while I was in prison. My, my sister and stuff, you know, people still didn't, uh, you know, would kind was kind of through with of me and yeah. I don't blame him. I mean, I was, I was through with myself at the time, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it took me the first, uh, I, I, no kidding. Like my first two, three years in prison, I didn't even like to shave. That's why I grew, ended up growing a beard because I didn't want to look at myself in the mirror. I still hated the guy. Mm. I still hated the guy that I looked at. You know what I mean? And it took me a, uh, some groundbreaking stuff. I did the RDAP program in prison yeah, yeah. In, the, in the feds. I don't know if you heard about it, but yeah, that was I a did. game changer for me and helped me. Oh yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, I did it. I didn't get the year off because my gun charge, but I did it just, and, and I'm so grateful I did because, uh, that was the, that was the moment that just changed me as far as being able to look and uh, look in the mirror and not blame that guy for, for putting yeah. me here, you know and, what I mean? And, like and for those that don't know it, the program is really rational behavioral thinking. And it, um, really makes you, you know, look at and decipher, you know, why you do things, why you think the way you do, why, you know, and solutions to that. And, you know, I, I think, um, you know, there's a lot of good pieces to that program if it's administered properly, you know, there, there's, a, there's some people that, that are, 
teaching that program that want to be cops and, and they'll set people back and do different things that aren't productive. Oh, yeah. But mostly I think, you know, the program itself has good aspects to it. We had some amazing people in there. And I guess if, uh, if I could ever choose one thing just to do, it'd be go, go back and be an RDAP uh, coordinator. Because, yeah. <laughs> yeah. uh, man, uh, they, really, they really have an impact that they don't even know. Because still to this day, I still use what I learned in there. You yeah. know what I mean? Like the, the setting boundaries and stuff. When I'm mentoring people, I basically, because I still got my books and stuff sure. in there. I basically kind of go through that. I got it memorized. And I kind of go through, you know, the, the healthy boundaries and different setting different things. And, you know what I mean? Uh, and so, yeah, it, it was impactful. But uh, that helped me to, to actually, you know, love the man I am. You know what I mean? Love myself. Well, Brian, can't love me, yourself, can't love nobody. Let me ask you this, though, because you, you, you did real time. And while you were doing your time, you, you were really making yourself a better version of yourself. What were you thinking about getting out? What was your, what was your thought process? What were you thinking? Like, I'm getting out of here. You had learned some trades. So, I mean, you, it wasn't like you, you weren't. Uh, someone that could probably get on somewhere. Where, what was going through your mind? Well, I, I mean, of course, you know, I, I, I was learning trades and wanting to make sure, you know, uh, you know, uh, financially I was, I was all right because I, you know, I didn't have much out there. I, didn't, I had lost a lot, but more than anything, it was, uh, you know, preparation for, you know, cause I, I knew the Lord had, you know, cause you know, I, I was always told, you know, like, uh, you know, scripture says those, those who he calls, he equips. And I knew that what, what I was going through was my equipping. Uh, I did not know at the time, I had never had any intention to go back in and do prison ministry. Uh, it wasn't really a goal, I guess you'd say. But uh, uh, I just knew, I, I knew I had a story to tell. Mm -hmm. And like every chance I got while I was in there, I shared my testimony. And uh, as well, I also, when I was in there, I kind of was like, uh, you know, I, I, was, I was trying to figure out some things. I, I, I talked to a ton of guys in there and, you know, figured out like, like there's a common denominator. Like most guys, majority of the people that are in there that I dealt with, uh, either come from broken homes, yep. absent fathers, fathers that didn't care, Foster fathers that care. were working too much, whatever. Yeah, yeah, something like that. There was there was very few. There was a, there was a couple that I ran into that were like, yeah, my dad was perfect, my mom was perfect. I just <laughs> I'm a knucklehead. Yeah. But for the most part, they had that same story I had with you know dad not being around and uh, kind of just doing what they wanted. You know what I mean? Like mom couldn't control them after a certain age. And so that I was kind of like, you know, researching that, I guess you'd say, you know yeah. what I mean? I'm, a, I'm, I'm very analytical. So I was analyzing every aspect of it. And most of all, I was trying to figure out how I wasn't going to become that person that just keeps coming back to prison. Sure. Cause even the, the time I was in there, I kept, I, I seen guys come back three or four times in a year. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. what are you doing? You know, like, I was like, I am not coming back to prison. <laughs> I'm not, I don't care what it takes. I'm I'm gonna do right. I'm getting out. I've I've got that do mindset. Whatever I got to do, and, right? Yeah, and, and that's really what it boiled down to. I was like, you know, I, I'm not gonna let this time become me. You know yeah. what I mean? And uh, and that that was really the big the big thing. I mean, I I, I had goals and stuff, and uh, my life right now looks a lot different than I ever imagined, even in there. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, and that's what's cool about it. Like like uh, you know, we set plans, but but God changes those plans. You know what I mean? Like uh, you know. I, Walk us through a little bit about how your life is now, because I think the really cool what? thing about your story is, is how you are giving back and and uh, doing things that you learned to help other people, which is, you know, a big part of this uh, podcast is about, you know, inspiring people to break, you know, in the prisons of their own mind to, to set themselves free. And, and you have embodied that with which, what you've done and how you've done it. Can you talk, walk us through that? 
Yeah. I mean, I hadn't even got out of the federal halfway house. I did nine months there. And uh, just on my home visits coming back home, I, uh, I had the, the same friends that came and prayed with me after I found out I was indicted. They reached out to me and they were like, uh, you know, I, I was actually home planning on the, uh, on the weekends doing home visits to, to their house after, after a little bit. And uh, they're like, here, what's, we're going to go to this uh, recovery house in, in Web City and, and we do a Saturday night uh, uh, celebrate recovery class. And so I went as a visitor and end up, they, they uh, you know, the guys I got talking to them, they wanted to hear my testimony. So shared my testimony and they were amazed at the fact that not only I, I shared the same testimony, but here I am, I'm still in the federal halfway house coming down there. Right. You know what I mean? And, uh, and they were just, they were fascinated with that. And, and I ended up helping to lead the, the, the class and mentor guys. And, you know, really there's, there's a lot of guys that I still, uh, you know, have a good relationship with now, you know, that, uh, you know, that I was able to pour into and, 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 and you know, as when mentor. you pour into guys like that, it's yeah, mentoring mentor them. They, they actually teach you more than you teach them sometimes. Sure. You know what I mean? And so, uh, through that, you know, I ended up, I wasn't going to come back to Johnson. I had swore that, you man, I'm not, I called it the lion's den. I was like, I'm not coming back there. I was going to get a fresh start in Springfield. Yeah. Little did I know the Springfield's way worse than Joplin with the epidemic. But, uh, yeah. I was like, man, I'm not coming back. Well, that, that HVAC license opened up a door. Uh, a friend of mine was like, Hey, I know, uh, the owner of a HVAC company here. I can get you a job. And so it kind of opened that door to end up coming back. And so I, I ended up back in Joplin, right? In the lion's den, mm-hmm. like Daniel. And, uh, so, uh, I end up, I, I, I was leading those classes. I was doing like a Monday night, Saturday night class and just really pouring into people, uh, end up, uh, through church. I, I, I got introduced. I got, you know, kind of set up on a blind date type deal with, with a, a friend of mine's, uh, friend. And, uh, we, uh, we went to lunch and stuff and ended up, that's, I wasn't, I was not looking for a relationship because I seen guys like fail so many times, get out and just get focused on a relationship. But, uh, you know, I, I was a few, only a few months out of, out of the halfway house, had my own little place and got introduced and ended up being the greatest, uh, greatest blind date I've ever had in my life. Uh, now my wife of, uh, <laughs> that seven, is a good blind date. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. And, 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 but the crazy thing was she's totally a hundred percent opposite of me. She's yeah. never even had a traffic ticket raised up in church her whole life. Yeah. And I really thought I don't have a chance with her. And I honestly, <laughs> we both set out for the same thing. Cause she came out of a, uh, an ugly divorce and stuff. And she was like, uh, we both tried to scare each other off, mm-hmm. just putting all our baggage on the table one night at, uh, uh, Logan's steakhouse. And we were there for like way after closing. They tried to, they were, they were running us off, but, uh, needless to say, we ended up, we're like, you know, uh, it, it worked out. You know, we, uh, Opposites but, uh, through, yeah, yeah. Well, and it just, you know, that, that brokenness brought us together, sure. you know what I mean? And the, most of all the vulnerability, because one thing I've learned with throughout this with all the lies and deceit and, everything I had now I'm, I'm transparent until it hurts. As I tell people, you know what I mean? And, uh, and so, I, I mean, I'm going to tell you the truth, no matter how bad it is, no matter what it looks like for either one of them. Yeah. And that's very and liberating so, uh, too, Brian, you yeah, know, to be it is. It, it, vulnerable and it transparent and real. Yeah. 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 And, and it's key for sobriety really for me and, uh, you know, for, just in general, but, uh, now, I, you know, it's just, it is, it was just interesting. And, uh, you know, her family welcomed me in like no other, uh, you know, and, and I thought, you know, I remember going to the first, our, our second date besides Logan's, our second date was to her, uh, my nephew that we went to the graduation yeah. this weekend. It was his, it was his basketball game. So her whole family, they're, they're very family orientated. The whole family was there. Grandma, mom, dad, everybody. And he wanted and I, that. And, I mean, that's what you were, you know, craving. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't know, well, I didn't know it at the time, but yeah, I was, I was craving it. And then it's like, you know, I asked her, I was like, so, 
so how much do they know about my past? And she goes, oh, I don't hide nothing from them. They know everything. And I'm like, oh, God, I know what I would think if I had a daughter and she brought this ex-con. Da, 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 da. I'm like, I'm, I'd be chasing him off with a gun. I don't know. But but no, they, they loved me like I was their own. And uh, it was pretty cool. But, you know, we started going to a, a church that we, we, we got a, a, actually helped launch a church. And I became an outreach pastor there. Did a lot of, you know, done a lot of ministries and stuff. I still do. Uh, I, we're going to that, that church has since closed down. I go to a different church uh, in town, but uh, in lead the men's men's group and uh, just every opportunity serving and serving. And here recently, I tell people uh, I fought for seven years after I got out of prison to get, you know, I, I carry this around with yep, me. Which you I got have, one you of those in my wallet. That. Yep. Yeah. I carry that as a reminder, but. But now I got this one to uh, go with it. All right, uh, that's my uh, my prison ID to go like into Oklahoma that. prison. That's a full cycle, yeah, right so, there. Yeah, I use it. Uh, I kind of put it in there, and I show the guys. You know, like uh, we're not really that much different. You know what I mean? And but but God can if God can do it for me, He can do it for them. Well, for those and who so, aren't watching uh, on YouTube, uh, Brian just showed his prison ID, his federal prison ID, the red card, and then he showed the badge to get in to talk and and be able to to help people inside the prison, which is a big deal. Which, by the way, your testimony and interview goes into 275 prisons. They're not federal prisons, but they're state prisons. Uh, this podcast does so. You know, the whole idea is, is those guys listen to that and see that, hey, man, people can make it out here, you know, breaking the narrative down. That's, that's, my, that's my goal. I mean, because when I go into prisons, more than anything, I just share life after prison. You yep. know what I mean? Like, yep. there's hope because everything that they told me or that you, you hear while you're in prison uh, isn't true. Like, like, as far as like, oh, you can't get a job. Well, you know, I'm not with the heat and air company anymore. Obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm with my battery outfitters and and I've worked my way up to a supervisor position and stuff, and and we hire felons. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, there's so many people that hire it's felons because they don't. They're not necessarily hiring felons. They're they're hiring character. You yes. know what I mean? Like like I I, I hire people uh, left and right. I just did an interview earlier today, but uh, uh I don't. I, I tell them like you know, if you, just be honest with me. Let me know what's going on. And and, and the fact is 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 it, is it is it is it your past? You know what I mean? And that's what my first employer with the heat and air company asked me when I shared my you know my my situation with him. He says, well, all I got to, all I got to ask you is, is it, is it in your past now? Yeah. You know what I mean? Are you done? Are you done now? And it, I was like, yes, sir, I am. He's like, that's all I care about. You know what I mean? Like, you know, so, uh, there, there is, there is hope. And, uh, just like when, uh, like another thing, you know, being in, in the feds too, you understand like, uh, you can't ever get, they, they say you can't ever get early release if you have a gun charge, uh, off of your paper time. I had five years of paper. Well, I, uh, I had, I had a deal. It was kind of interesting deal. I, uh, I had entered a drawing, uh, a local drawing to, to win a, uh, a cruise and I ended up winning that cruise. Well, I was, I was only two and a half years into my federal paper. And I'm like, my, 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 uh, supervision officer was always, he, he loved me. He hardly ever had to deal with me because I, I was just doing what I was supposed to do. And I remember he came over and I was like, man, I know I can't get a passport or leave the country on paper. I was like, you know, I don't know what to do about this. He's like, well, write the judge and see if he'll release you early. And I'm like, I thought that doesn't happen. He says, well, I can't recommend it. I can't go before it and ask for it, but you can ask for it. And I'm definitely not going to stop it. And so, uh, I, I, I actually got a hold of a lawyer to draw it up. And, uh, my mentor gave me his lawyer's number, uh, an old lawyer friend of his number. And, uh, I wrote him, he just told me, he said, write me everything that you're doing that you've done since you got out. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of like a resume almost of my, of my ministry work. Mm -hmm. And he sends me the thing, he types it up, sends it back to me later on. And he's like, 
I'm not gonna I'm not gonna represent you because I don't want to take your money. He says after reading this, he's like, what I did is just type this letter up. You send it in. He says you don't need me. Wow. You know what I mean? He's like, I, that, you know, I'm like, oh, I, I was kind of scared because I was like, I wanted to be represented. <laughs> I like, I'll, I'll pay you. Just, just yeah, go with me. me and so I sent it to the judge, and uh, sure enough, that same judge that sentenced me is who I had sent it to. And he wrote back. He let me off early. And uh, that's really cool. I, I went down and I, I wanted to ask you too because that you going in and out of the the prison. What what's what does that feel like? And what what's what what are the reactions you get by you know you're walking the halls of the same places that you know you were as a prisoner what is that what's that world feel like to you now it's it, it's it's getting better i remember the first few times because i go to the same prison uh once a month right now and uh the first few times we go i go outside of the fence to the minimum we have a we have a chapel service out there mm-hmm. and then i go inside the, the fence now inside the fence it's really different because they actually give us the keys and a radio and they're like, they're back, you know, going to go through three gates to get back to the chapel. Mm-hmm. And then they'll send all the, the inmates back. And I'm just like me and the guy I go in with, he's also been to prison. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we're like, I don't, this don't feel right. We're not supposed to have keys and a radio. Right. And, right. But it's, it's right. just, it's just wild. And I, and I joke with the guys there because I came the first time visiting and I just immediately felt called to just, you know, make this my service. Cause I'm going to eventually, my goal is to eventually because I'm badged in all the Oklahoma prisons, eventually go to all the Oklahoma prisons, share my testimony, especially McAllister where it was. Mm-hmm. Well, the one I'm going to now is Hominy. And they're like, I told the, I tell the guys all the time. I'm like, here's the deal. I was like, uh, uh, I'll, you know, they, they were like, I'm glad you keep coming. And I'm like, I'll keep coming as long as they keep letting me out. But the first time they try to keep me, I'm not coming <laughs> I'm back. Not coming back. <laughs> <laughs> I promise you, I will cancel my reservation. I'm not coming back. So, uh, it is, it's, it's just a, it's just a different feeling because I remember going to chapel services the whole time I was locked up. And, and, and almost envying the people because I'm like, man, they get to go, they get to go home. You know what yeah. I mean? I'm, I gotta go back to the cell. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, I just, uh, it's important to me. I mean, uh, just I'm to be sure able to go in there. I tell the guys, I'm, I'm, I can't yeah, imagine it, that. It, it's, it's gotta be an incredible feeling and, and walking the halls and knowing what you did, how you made yep. yourself a better version of yourself and be able to walk those halls back after being out and doing what you're doing. I, it's gotta be an incredible feeling. Yeah, it's, it's, it's powerful. I mean, it just, uh, it, uh, it breaks me down every time. I guarantee the way home, I've got a two and a half hour drive back home afterwards from, from where the prison is. And so the way home, I'm just, you know, I don't even listen to music. I'm just, you know, uh, it's in all, it's just, yeah, just like, you know, cause I mean, I know, you know, I'm kind of a, an empathetic type of person. Man, I, I put myself in their shoes and, and I know those guys, they, 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 they heard, they heard what, what hopefully is a good message and, and they're going back to their cells and I hope it's really, uh, planting seeds in them, you know Absolutely. what I mean? And I'm, I'm just praying over that, praying over those seeds and, and just thinking, man, I, I remember what it was like going, going back to yeah, the, to the right house there. for count time after. Yeah. I'm like, you know, it's just, it's just different. And I tell the guys, I'm like, man, I, I get it. You know what I mean? I can, I can, I can actually say, I've, you know, I've, I've, I've been where you're at, you know, and, and that goes a long way. Yeah, it means a lot. I so, think for people to come in that have been in, uh, that's, that, that creates a whole different version to the feeling that I think they get from that, visit i always ask everybody brian you know you you've lived one of those lives that you know you read about and and how you turned it around and and how you are living the life that you want to live now what what do you think's your biggest takeaway through all that well i'd say uh number one you're never too far gone for for the lord you know what i mean like like i i thought i'd done too much wrong and i grew up in a legalistic uh 
style of church that taught me that, you know, like, you know, like there's going to be, you know, you knock and, or he knocks and you don't answer. And there's going to come a time that he's going to knock and you don't answer, you know, or vice versa. And, and so it's like, you know, you, there's, there's nothing you've done that's, that's too, too bad that, you know, it's not worth redemption, yeah. you know? And, and that's, that's the big thing for me. That's the, that's the big takeaway that, that, you know, like no matter, no matter how far you've gone, both in, not, not just in the, uh, uh, you know, like with, with the Lord, but also just in life, you like now, you know, I, you know, I said, I, I didn't have any, anybody, everybody gave up on me. Well, all the same people that gave up on me, including myself now believe in me. That's, you know what I mean? Those, those same statement. people. Yeah. They've came back into my life. And, and now I know that this, the, the scripture in Philippians, you know, all, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now I know that literally, uh, there's nothing that's impossible. You know what I mean? Like, like the Lord opens a door and, and, and no matter what it is, I, I can walk through it. You know what I mean? And, uh, and that's, that's a lot, you know what I mean? Because, uh, he's, uh, you know, I, I tell people all the time, it's, it's, I don't, I, I don't ever try to preach the prosperity gospel, mm-hmm. but the Lord has blessed me more than I can ever imagine, not just financially, but, but emotionally, physically in every which way. But, but, but most of all, it's just like, he's, He's returned everything that the enemy took from me. Yep. And that enemy a lot of times was myself. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so uh, you know, everything that was squandered away, you know, like I, I've shared my testimony a lot of times with the, with the story of the prodigal son. And, and I was that prodigal son, you know what I mean? Like, but when I, when I came back to the Lord, you know, he's like, get, get the robe and the fatted calf and, and a signet ring and let's go. I mean, like you were restored a hundred percent, a hundred fold to where you were, you know what I mean? So, and, and that's really what, what I'm living each day. And, you know, I tell people, I don't, I'm not trying to brag. Uh, I just, I, on anything but God, you know what I mean? Like, like, you know I mean? I, I've got, uh, well, everything that it. I ever, you're, you're living it, Brian. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think yep. uh, here's my card here. I keep it in my wallet and, <laughs> and, and I've got these, uh, leather bands that a guy named magic made for me when I, so there's two things I have that, that really kind of yep. steady me into the fact that if I'm having a bad day, it ain't that bad. <laughs> it's not yeah. that bad. Because it it, it, well, can, it can be a lot worse. It, <laughs> I actually, uh, when I go humbling. into the prisons, yeah, when I go into the prisons, the Bible I take in there, which is the only Bible I got, is my Bible for uh, uh, that I got when I was in when I graduated Victory Bible Institute, the the Bible College in prison. But I carry with me the, the this is one of the chapel service schedules. Wow! And I tell you know I mean I always share with the guys like that's all the chapel services we had, that. and I mean I. I remember them all like they were yesterday and I, I carry those because, you know, I, I tell, I tell people on the outside here, like if you ever get a chance, you know, an opportunity to go into a prison chapel, yeah. you'll see a different lifestyle. Like those, those guys, they, they got nothing but God, but they need nothing but God. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like that jailhouse, you know, everybody has a preconceived notion on jailhouse religion, but, but like I said earlier, it's not cool to be a Christian in prison. So if they're in the chapel service, they're going to get persecuted in their own little way. Cause I mean, you know, even though I had respect on the yard, some of my, some of my guys would just be like, Oh, you're going to the church again. You know, like oh, yeah. they kind of make fun of you or yeah. whatever. But, but at the same time, it's like, you know what? Like well, if they're I, in there, and I think, it all. you know, I think that, you know, I, I remember uh, Romo, second guy I interviewed on this podcast, 80 some odd interviews ago. Uh, he said, don't take away hope if it's hopes all they have, you know, that could be the only thing yeah. that some, that somebody's living on is hope. And, and that's the last yeah. thing you want to take away from somebody. Brian, mm-hmm. I think what you're doing is, is incredible. Um, it's so refreshing to hear somebody, you know, take a really bad hardcore experience and, and get through it 
grit it out and then give it back and the way you're doing it because it's not easy going back in there but I know that it fills you up and I just really appreciate you coming on and I think you know you probably helped some people today and you know and I want to tell people if you if you have somebody that you know if you get something out of this share the show it, it helps uh, share it out and um, if you got time and I know it's a hassle, but it's a big deal for the show. If you can leave a review on Apple or Spotify, it kind of puts the uh, show on on steroids the way that they promote it in the algorithm. Um, I've got a book out there, Nightmare Success. Uh, it's all about my life, and you can get it in uh, Amazon, um, Barnes & Noble. You can even get it at Walmart. And um, if you want to get a hold of me or uh, anything about me, brentcasty.com. And uh, like I used to say when I was typing my emails back from Leavenworth to the outside, stay strong. I'll do the same. Brian Williams, thanks so much for being here today. I appreciate it. I was going to say also um, um, the, the ministry, if anybody wants to reach out, not by coincidence ministries, that's what uh, that's to follow the, the prison stuff going in we actually uh we we, it it spawned out of a a friend of mine who wrote a book about his testimony and we're those books we've been putting in all the prisons and jails and drug rehabs what is that again what is that again brian not by coincidence ministries not by coincidence ministries i'll put that in the show notes too yep all right everybody thanks for being here today brian williams thank you nightmare success in and out